You're listening to a Calvary and Adults podcast, a ministry out of Calvary Baptist Church, Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Calvary Young Adults is a midweek worship gathering of those in the Durham region who are between the ages of 18 and 30. We love the Lord, proclaim His Word, and celebrate His goodness. This podcast series is a release of the sermons from Thursday evenings. In today's episode, Pastor Nick looks at the person of Abraham as we continue our series in Character Matters. Let's listen now. What a great night to be together, and I'm so excited for this series that we're in, Character Matters, really diving deep, really opening, up our, opening our Bibles up, looking at people's characters, and tonight we're going to be talking about Abraham. And uh, let's get a shout out for Matthew for the great job he did last week when he, when he took us through the, the character of Noah. Uh, I was... I was able to go back and kind of look at that, to look at that sermon and just, just look at the points and just such great stuff there. So thank you, Matthew, uh, for leading us through the character of Noah. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Abraham. But before we actually get to Abraham, uh, I wanted to start with this. Our character is important and how we live matters. And just as, uh, as we were partaking in worship as Jordan and the band was leading us, I just really felt uh, that I should go to Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah 20, we're not talking about Jeremiah yet. He's in a, probably a, a month or so as we get through some of these characters. But Jeremiah 20 is a really intense passage. I want to talk, talk about Jeremiah 20 for one minute. Jeremiah 27 says this. It says, I have become the laughing stock all of the day. It's a pretty intense moment for Jeremiah as he's talking to God. He says, for, for whenever I speak, I cry out, and I shout violence and destruction. So Jeremiah, prophet, is, is warning God's people that they need to change their ways. And he says, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach all the day long. He gets frustrated with, with trying to tell God's people about God's rules and his regulations and just how to be in relationship with God and how to bring honor with God, to honor to God with their lives. And he says, like he makes this declaration, he says, I will, I will not mention him. He makes this moment where he says, I'm not going to mention God's name. I won't speak of him, of his name anymore. And then he says this, he says, there in me, in my heart is like a burning fire. Just shut up in my bones, and I'm weary from holding it in, and I cannot. Everyone's making fun of me. Everybody is looking at me. I'm the laughing stock of the community because I just want God's people to walk in, right, in a right way, in righteousness with God. And he says, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore. And he says, when he closes his mouth, it's like he can't do it. He gets weary. He gets tired. He has no strength from holding it in. He says in verse 10, for I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. And this, get this, his friends denounce him. Let us denounce him. His friends are giving him counsel. And it's not just his friends, it says, denounce him, let us denounce him, says all my close friends. These are his buddies. These are the people, they know what his job is. They know that he's a prophet. They know that he is called to, to bring counsel. And even his good buddies are saying, let's denounce him. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But he says in verse 11, but the Lord is with me like a warrior. 
they shall not overcome me. Sometimes it's hard to stand in a culture or be in a culture and share God's word and be true to it. And that's why we do this. That's why we meet. That's why we open up God's word. That's why we look at the Bible because we are called to live and bring honor to the Lord in the way we live. Character matters. So I was thinking about Jeremiah just during worship, and I was thinking about us as we got that challenge from Daniel tonight to just share, share the stream. Let's put that out there. Some of us might have heard that and said, no, I'm not going to do that because people might ask questions. Well, we don't know what will come tonight. I'm under the, the guidance and, uh, and, and conviction that the Lord's word never returns back to him void. So I believe God will do stuff with his word as we talk about it tonight. So that's what we're going to do. We're actually going to do four things tonight. We got four sections to our evening as we look at the character Abraham. The first thing is we're going to pray. I'm going to ask God to bless our night and open up our hearts and minds. Then number two, we're going to go through a bio of Abraham's. We're going to look at an extensive bio of Abraham's life. Uh, step three or section three, we're going to look at Abraham's life divided. Season one is from birth to the age about 86. And there's 23 points. But bear with me. I'm going to go through them fast. And then there's another season to his life uh, from his age from 86 to when he died at 175, and there's 25 points there, and that's, that's not even the sermon. That's just getting us ready. And then I'll address nine spiritual lessons from the life of Abraham. As I was doing my research, I found a, a professor at Liberty University who did a briefing on the life of Abraham in 2008. His name was Dr. H. L. Willingham, and I'll re re be referring to some of his work uh, in my sermon. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we just thank you for this night, and I thank you for those who are watching this, for those who are, who are listening. God, I pray that you would help us tonight, that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds, and by the counsel of the Holy Spirit through your word, God, will we draw closer to you? God, will you help bring us closer by repentance by confession, by turning from things in our lives and turning to you. God, as we lift up our petitions to you, as we lift up our praises, will you bend your ear down? Will you listen? Will you bring healing to those who need healing? Will you bring conviction to those who need conviction? Will you bring grace to those who need grace? Will you bring, bring help to those who are feeling helpless at this time? God, I think it's right that we can talk to you and ask you for these things because you, you ask us to do that. So, Lord, I pray that, that you would do those things that we ask tonight. We humbly request this by the power of the Holy Spirit in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to be talking about Abraham tonight, and let's get into his bio. We're going to have some information come up on the screen, and then I'm going to get into his life stages, which will, will just be some facts that are found all over the Bible. Um, you can follow along, but you probably won't be able to look up all the stuff, but I do have references for all of this stuff. Let's look at Abraham. Abraham's birthplace was in Ur of the Chaldees. We find this in Genesis eleven thirty one. That was where he was born. He died near Hebron in, in Canaan. Genesis 23, 19, 25, 9. He died at the age of 175 years, so 175 years old. So he had a pretty extensive life. And we're going to see tonight that his life was filled with lots of ups and downs. I think 
his character uh, really comes through and it's a good model for us to look at because he did some good things and he did some really bad things and we can learn from both. And I'm thankful that the Lord just doesn't try to cover up hard stuff, that he puts things in his word so that we can learn from and, and just dig deep and exegete the passages so that we can actually look at some of the things and apply it to our own lives so we won't make the same mistakes. His occupation, he was a patriarch. He was the beginning of God's people. He was the father of the nations. His father in Genesis eleven twenty six 26 was Terah. Throughout Abraham's life, he had three wives. He had three spouses. First, he, he married Sarah, Sarai in Genesis, in Genesis eleven twenty nine. Next came Hagar in Genesis 16, 3. And then there was another woman. Uh, I actually probably learned this, but I didn't really have this information in my my mind all the time. He had a third wife in Genesis 25.1, and her name was Keturah. And he had some kids. He actually had eight kids. So from Hagar, his first son was born, and his first son's name was Ishmael. We see this in Genesis 16. And then from Sarah, we know the, the big promise that came was that he would have a, a child later on in his life, and his child uh, was Isaac. And a lot of stuff happened with Isaac. And then we got Keturah, and he has six kids with Keturah. Um, this may be, it's a, it's a reference in Genesis 25 too, and it's easy to skip, but he has six kids. Zimram, Jokshan, Midian, Midian Ishbak, and Shua. I think I'm saying those right. I may be wrong. Please forgive me. But found, those names are found in Genesis 25 too. The meaning of his name is important. It means father of a multitude. And we'll know that, we'll get into this, but there's this promise that is given to Abraham that he is to go outside, look up to the sky, and see all the stars. And, and God is making him a promise that his offspring would be like the stars, just numerous. His name, this is a cool fact that I, I thought this, this next part, these next two facts were, were pretty cool. His name is referenced 307 times in the Bible. 307 times someone makes reference to Abraham. Biblical books that mention Abraham, 27 books in total. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Nehemiah, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Hebrews, James, and 1st Peter. All of, those, all of those books reference this man. That's his bio, okay? That's section two. So just right off the bat, we're, we're talking about a pretty intense dude. He's got a lot to offer, and we could probably do, well, I got 25, 35, 45, 48 points just in his life. That's probably 48 sermons that we could do, not including the sermon that I'm going to actually give. So the, we're going to look at his life, and we're going divide to divide his life in two seasons. And you think of your own life, you have seasons in your life. Like, I was reminiscing and talking to my kids the other day, from when I was young to when I was 20, and then from when I was 20 to now I'm, I'm going to be 40 in a couple months, the, how my life has changed and what has happened really in the later part of my life, the, the extensiveness that God has brought me through as I've been uh, called out of darkness into marvelous light, walking with him, ups and downs, uh, trying to submit to him, uh, trying to learn these lessons that he's teaching me, the later part of my life has been pretty intense. 
But I think it's because as you grow and as you get older and as you have some experience, you start to go through a little bit more stuff and you, you start to think a little bit. So you're going to see there's two big, big sections in his life. The first section are all the events from when he was born up to the age 86. And it starts in Genesis 11, and it goes actually through Genesis 16. So if you're going to look at Abraham's life, you're in Genesis for a little bit. Pretty much the extensive book of Genesis has the life of, of Abraham. He was born and raised in Ur of, of the Chaldeans, a city located uh, in the land of Mesopotamia. We find this in Genesis 11. Prior to his conversion, Abraham, or Abram, his, his name was Abram before it was Abraham. So Abram was a worshiper of idols, and that is found in Joshua 24 too. So a book, so outside of his book that were, was told about him, we, found, we find that Abram is referenced, and he's, he's a worshiper of idols. God appears to him in Acts, we find this in Acts 7-2, that God appears to him, and Abraham becomes a believer. So he has this moment, this, this time with God, and then he, he starts to, to trust God, believe God. He was commanded to leave, leave home, and he was commanded to go to a, a new land that God had promised to show him, Genesis 12.1, and we see this Acts reference again in Acts 7.3. So he's called out of his home, and he's called to go to a new land and to trust God. In the process of this calling out and to go into another land, he is told that he is going to, or he receives a sevenfold promise from God. Genesis 12, 2 to 3. He departs from Haran at the age of 75. So a lot of this stuff like happens later on in his life at the age of 75. We see this in Genesis 12, 4. He, he arrives in Canaan, is promised the land by God, and right there he builds an altar at Bethel. He goes to Egypt during a famine and lies about his wife, Sarah. Her name is Sarah, changed to Sarah. It's Sarai, gets changed later on. But he goes in, there's a famine that breaks out, and he goes into Egypt, and then he lies about his wife. So, makes a huge mistake there. After that, he returns to Bethel, and, he get, and he's worshiping God. He separates from his nephew, Lot, after an argument over land grazing rights. God promises to give him the land in Canaan. He moves to Hebron and builds an altar for God. He rescues his nephew, Lot, now living in Sodom, who was a prisoner by a king. He meets, gives ties to, and is blessed by a priest named Mechazeldech, or not a priest, blessed by Mechazeldech, who is the king of Salem. It's a reference that we see. Uh, found in Genesis 14. He's promised a son and to become a father of great nations in Genesis 15. He believes God and is declared righteous due to his faith. Huge moment in his life, Genesis in, in, also in Genesis 15. He enters into a blood covenant with God. So things are starting to get serious now in his life. God's showing up. God's promising things. God's doing these covenants with him. He's making promises. God is starting to move in this, in this man's life. He believes God and is declared righteous due to his faith, blood covenant. In a dream, God reveals to him that his descendants would serve in a foreign land for 400 years, but then depart with great substance. He is now given the boundaries of the land in, in Genesis 15, 18 to 21. At the advice of his barren wife, Sarai, he marries Hagar, Hagar uh, her Egyptian handmaid, with the hope that he would father his son, through her. Note that it does mention in Genesis 16, 1 to 3, that he does marry her and he doesn't just sleep with her. 
Okay, so it wasn't just like, hey, let's hook up, have a baby. It, it was, there was marriage involved. He has now given the boundaries of the land. Soon after conception, there's an argument. There's jealousy that breaks out between Sarai and Hagar. And Sarai sends Hagar into the desert. Sarai's angry. Find this in Genesis 16. Hagar is ministered to by an angel of the Lord, promised a son. She told that the son should be called Ishmael, and she's sent back to Sarai. So she's sent back to the place where she's been kicked out of with a promise from God. Hagar gives birth to Ishmael when Abraham, Abram was 86, year old, 86 years old. That's the first part of his life. All of that stuff happens in just a few short chapters. So we're digging into this guy's life. We're going to see there's so much going on. There's so much that we can learn from Abram. So here's the second part of his life, 25 points. This happens between 86, his age 86 and 175. God appears to Abram when he's 99 years old and changes his name. It goes from Abram to Abraham. We see this in Genesis 17, 1 through 5. He again is promised both seed, he's, he's promised both children, but he's also promised land. So this is where we see this land, the promised land coming in, these promises that are starting to happen. God is promising this stuff. He does it a few times. God now institutes the ceremony of circumcision. This is pretty intense. If you look at that, could you imagine? I'm going to get into that in a little bit, but could you imagine that conversation? You want me to do with, you want me to do what? Cut it off? Okay, and then I have to call all the guys. Guys, new rule. Jordan, come to the stage. It's going to be rough. Could you imagine this conversation that he's having with God and then has to go tell all the, all the guys who are with him? So he has this new ceremony of circumcision, Genesis 17, 9, 9 through 14. Throw that reference up there. Please read that because it's a scary passage. Sarah's name, Sarai's name is now changed to Sarah. So Sarah gets a new name. God promises to bless Ishmael and reassures Abraham that Sarah would give birth to a baby boy and that they will call him Isaac. God tells him Sodom would soon to be, de be destroyed in Genesis 18. And then God grants Abraham's request, request to spare the city if but 10 righteous people were found living in it. Great moment with Abraham and God. Uh, I love that God includes that so that we can see that Abraham is praying and talking and talking about the righteous and asking God, you're a righteous God, even if there were 10, even if there were nine, even if there were one, would you stop? Would you hold back your wrath? A beautiful moment that we get to see in Genesis 18, 23 through 33. Abraham later views the smoke of the burning city destroyed by God for its immorality. He, move, he, moves, to, uh, he moves once again down to Egypt, lies about his wife. Again, he enters into a special agreement with a Philistine king near Bathsheba. He offers up Isaac on the mountain. This is that, that crazy passage where God says, go up in the mountain, bring your son. And on the walk, Isaac's saying, where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice? Abraham's probably thinking, you, you're the sacrifice. But he says, God will provide. And God does. He offers up Isaac. He is ordered to kill a ram. In the place of Isaac, God provides. He calls the name of the place Jehovah-Jara, which is the Lord will provide. Our Lord will provide. Another great moment for us that in intense moments, in, in hard seasons, in COVID seasons, in lockdown seasons, Jehovah-Jara, 
our Lord will provide a great moment for us to read on that. The Abrahamic covenant is now reconfirmed. He, leans, he learns concerning the birth of his brother Nahor's children, including a daughter named Rebecca in Genesis 22. Sarah dies at the age of 127. So I've read that most, I've read that a few times, but I, did, I didn't catch on that he died at 175, and he really loves Sarah. And she died at 127. So we spent a little bit of time without Sarah. I kind of I relate to that. Abraham buys a cave from a Hittite ruler, ruler to bury his wife in. We see that in Genesis 23, 3 to 20. Abraham sends his servant to Mesopotamia to fetch a bride for Isaac. Abraham marries Keturah and fathers six sons through her. And then he dies at the age of 175. That's the second part of his life. Wow. So many interesting points. If you're overwhelmed, throw that in the chat because that's a lot of stuff that I, I was able to look at uh, over the last little bit. As we dive in tonight, out of all those points, I want to pull out some lessons that we can learn from his life. Some cool lessons. I want to look at nine lessons. Nine spiritual lessons from the life of Abraham. Are you ready? If you're ready, say yes. Type it in. I read this stuff. I go back and read it. So if you're, if you're typing things in, I will, I will look at it a little bit later tonight before I go to bed. So please interact with me. It's a great opportunity for us. It's the best we can do right now, but I do want to hear from, from my family out there. So if you're having some fun tonight, if you're, you're digging in, if there was something that I said that really caught your attention, throw it in the chat. Let's interact with each other. All right, let's get into these. Number one. The first thing that we see from Abraham's life, one of, the, one of the spiritual lessons that we learn is this. The believer's relationship to the world is never the same after conversion. The believer's relationship to the world is never the same after conversion. If you look at Genesis 12, 1 to 3, you will read this. If you have time, rush over, but if you just want to listen, just listen. 12, 12, 1, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all of the people on earth will be blessed through you. One of the first things we learn uh, from the calling out or when conversion happens, it is not uncommon for new believers to have to create new patterns with new friends, and sometimes they're called to new places. Salvation brings with it not, over, not only adoption, which is being brought into the family of God, it brings justification, it brings regeneration, it brings the adoption, and it brings this progressive sanctification. All of these things are happening when salvation comes, but bring, you get brought into a new family. Salvation brings with it a family with new purpose, with new patterns, which need to overcome the old patterns. These, with new purpose and the old patterns from the old world that we are, are being freed from, those patterns need to be cut off. See, many young believers, we get stuck and we don't grow because we try to live in both worlds. We try to live in the world of the flesh, the, the darkness ruled by the power of, the, of the, the spirit of the air, 
We have that world, and then there's this new kingdom, kingdom down. And in our men's ministry uh, moment last Friday night, I talked about uh, Daniel living uh, in Babylonia. He's living Babylonian. He has, he has a choice to live Babylonian up, or he has to live kingdom down. We are called to live kingdom down. We're called to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to God. But a lot of believers will live in both worlds. They'll live in both kingdoms. They'll try to live for the flesh, and then they'll want to honor God. But things need to change. After conversion, how you associate with the world, that needs to change. For Abraham, he had to leave it all. He had to trust God, and he had to go where God told him to go. When I was a young believer, I remember my conversion experience at 21 in a church. I needed to learn how to live and act as a believer. So what I needed to do, I needed to make it a clear distinction in my life and to make that known that I was a believer in Jesus Christ and for a period of time be learning and discipling and being discipled. So I went to my friend group, the, the guys that I worked with, the people that I hung out with, the people that I, I, I indulged in a lot of sin with, I went to this friend group and I told the truth. I told them that God saved me. That was the first thing I told them. The second thing I told them that, a, and a part of this new life in Christ, some, the Bible says that I need to grow and now focus some of my time, some of my seasons uh, of my life to learn these new ways that God would be providing. And the third, third thing I had to tell them, for a time, I'm going to make this new walk in Jesus. I'm learning this new terminology, and I just want you to know for a little bit, for a little season, a few seasons, I don't know how long it's going to take, I'm going to be living under this realm, this kingdom. And I went to my friend group, and I told them, this will be my focus. I also said, please help me by cheering me on and allowing me have allowing me to have the time to grow. I am very weak. I made this declaration. I remember talking to the guys. I remember the night very clearly talking to the guys. I told them that I was very weak. And if, and if you ask me to participate in the, in the stuff that you, you guys do on a regular basis that I do with you, if you ask me to participate, I'm so weak in my flesh that I will join right in. I will actually feel obligated because I feel like I, I, I need to impress people. But right now, the best thing that I could do and the best thing that you could do to, is to cheer me on is not invite me to this stuff for a, for a short season until I can grow. I'm saying, please don't invite me to go, but I am asking you to, um, I am asking you, I am inviting you to join in by asking me how I'm doing with the things that I'm learning. So that's a hard conversation. My friends didn't like that. It was awkward. It was kind of like a Jeremiah moment. They were saying things like, this is stupid. I don't understand why you have to do that. Why can't you do both? But I was being discipled by an older deacon, and he told me, you just need to take a break. Go talk to your friends. Make it very clear, because it's going to be really awkward if you just stop talking to them and stop, you just ignore their messages. They're going to say, what's up? Have the real conversation and just say, this is my new start in Christ, and I'm going to do it this way. If you look at the Apostle Paul, or if you look at Paul's life, on the, on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. He's actually got a letter, and he's going to, to, uh, to arrest Christians. He's, he's got, it's law now that he could grab Christians and persecute them and put them in jail. And Jesus shows up, 
and has this conversation. Paul is converted, and then Paul is blinded. Paul is led into a city. God speaks to another disciple. The disciple is terrified, scared of Paul, because Paul is, uh, Paul's the, they think Paul's evil, is against the message. He goes in, and Paul spends a lot of time, a few years actually, learning how to be a leader for God. So even in Paul's life, we see that. So the believer's relationship to the world is never the same after conversion. And if you're living in both worlds, you got to break it down. You have to have the talks. You have, to, you have to pick a side. We even see this in Revelation, like this lukewarm Christian who's on the fence. God says, I'll spit you out of, the, out of my mouth. You're not, even, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're just lukewarm. You're just dabbling in everything. And we see in Abraham's life that God says to him, you need to leave this place and you got to go to the place that I'm going to give to you and you need to trust me on this. And that message is for us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to trust in that process. You need to get into a, a, a discipling group so that you can be mentored. You need to read God's word. You need to get away from the things that are destroying your life. You need to take a break from that stuff. I say it like that as if you were going to go back, but I say when you take a break of that stuff and you focus on God, you shift your eyes to Jesus, you won't want to go back to that stuff. But maybe you're not strong enough right now, like when I was, wasn't. I was too weak. I couldn't live in both worlds. I just needed to cut one off. Now I can go back and hang out with my friends, and I, I feel like I'm at a place because I've been uh, trained by the Spirit and I know the Word of God that I, don't, I can say no easily. No, I'm not doing that. I don't care what you think. I'm just not doing that. For me, maybe good for you at your time in your life, but for me, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. But I couldn't do that when I was younger. Abraham's life is teaching us that. Second thing that we need to know from Abraham's life is this. Number two, I am never to depend upon Egypt. I'm never to depend on Egypt or a type of the world in my time of trouble in my time of trouble. We see this in Genesis 12, 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land. So a famine is pretty intense. Food's running out. A famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So Abraham leaves and he goes down into this place and some stuff starts to happen. After conversion, you need to trust in the Lord for his provision. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to start looking to God for, for, for the things. Christians should never put their full trust in anything besides the Lord. See, Christians struggle with this a lot these days, and you hear many talking about their rights as a citizen of Canada. I have these rights. That's true, you do. But I often hear in those conversations more Christians talking about the rights of Canada than the rights that they have in the, as a citizen in the kingdom of God. We'll talk about all the rights all the time, throw it on, here's a post, this government this, this government that. Yeah, that's okay, I'm not coming against that. But do you know the rights that you have as a citizen of, of God's kingdom? What God will do for you, what God has promised you, what God ha has said about how we are to live and how we are to trust in him that even takes care of the birds. He knows what, how many hairs are on your head. 
If you put your trust in anything other than God, I'm gonna tell you right now, including man, including pastors, you're gonna be disappointed. That doesn't mean that you can't love, that you can't listen, you can't care, you can't seek help, but there needs to be a clear division in your loyalty to God and your loyalty to man and government. God needs to come first over everything. And Abraham makes a huge mistake in this section of scripture in his life. See, this famine breaks out and he goes down to Egypt and he convinces his wife to tell people that she was his sister. Sarai is reported in the Bible as a woman who is very beautiful. And Abraham is a little worried, so he constructs this plan like, hey, baby, let's have a little chit-chat. You're very pretty, and if we go together, they're going to kill me and let you live. I want to save my life. Let's just tell everybody you're my sister. Not a good move as a husband. Like, dudes, if you're listening, don't do this to your wives. If you're dating seriously, want to get married, take, a, take some notes right now. This is not one of those things you want to do. So he gets down there, and then the scriptures actually record that Pharaoh reports come up, and Sarai's name's brought up, and before the, the Pharaoh, and he wants to see her. And Abraham allowed Pharaoh to take Sarah as his wife. Could you imagine this? Like, you get into this place, you're my sister. Pharaoh comes along and says, oh, that's your sister? I want her as my wife. Okay, she can be your wife. He allowed Pharaoh to take Sarah as his wife, and in return, he was given provision until the Lord brought judgment, and they had to leave. So this, this was not a wise move. It's not a wise move, and Abraham does it twice. He does it twice. We need to be careful, and we need to take warning here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you call yourself a Christian, we can't compromise in these areas. Just don't do it. What he did to Sarai was wrong. He didn't lead very well here, and it's a good moment for us to really look into that. And I'm glad that God keeps all things in his word so that we can see a fuller picture of every person in the Bible is not a great hero. But Jesus is. Jesus is our great hero. He is the second Adam. He is the person to our, we should fix our eyes upon. He is the person that we should give our allegiance to. Why? Because the Bible says that. Number three. There's this moment in Abraham's life, especially when he's talking to Sarah, that really gives us a good point as followers when it comes to our character. Number three is this. Lying always increases but never decreases our problems. Lion always increases, but never decreases our problem. Genesis 12, 13. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me and let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake. I'll be treated well for your sake. You need to lie and say that you're my sister so that I will be treated well, but it's not for me, baby. It's for you. And my life will be scared. Be scared be spared because of you. You're going to save my life by marrying this other person. I find that Abraham made a huge mistake in this section of his life because of what he did to his wife. He allowed the Pharaoh to take Sarah as his wife, and in return, he gets provision. 
Like, I don't know as a man that I could be in a place knowing that another person is with my wife. I don't know how he did that. I don't know how he would, like, just, I'll see you in the palace, like, at dinner time, and then I'll see you walking off to the Pharaoh's bedroom. Like, that would crush my heart. Like, I read this, and I know Abraham made a, a judgment call, and he went through this, but I guarantee it was hard on his life. It was hard on his mind. It was hard on his soul. He loved Sarah. I don't believe he was just flippantly going into this, but he did lie. And don't ever think that lying will ever save you. It will always cause more heartache and more pain. You may get away with your lie before man, but here's the thing, guys. We don't fool God. We don't fool God. He sees all things. He knows all things. And we're going to have to have a conversation with God. And if you think that if you, if you continue to lie on a regular basis without feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, without going back to God, without repenting, there's a warning to you. Here's a little Bible study tip. Someone here, go look at Revelation 21.8. Write it in the chat. What does it include? A person that continues to lie and doesn't repent. What's going to happen? Lying always increases, but never decreases our problems. We see this in the life of Abraham. Number five, my sin, your sin, our personal sin can affect other people's lives. We know this. But our sin, my sin, your sin, can even affect the lives of the unsaved. Genesis 12, 17. Genesis 20, 18. It says, but the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his whole household because, Abraham, because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. He lies. He gives over his wife. Pharaoh takes her as his wife. God brings judgment on Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't even know what's going on at the moment. He's looking at his household and there's things happening. There's things going on. There's, there's something going on very clearly. There's a judgment there. So what does Pharaoh do? He summons Abraham, it said. That he summoned Abraham and he said to this, he says, what have you done to me, Abraham? Why didn't you tell me that this was your wife? Why did you say that she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Why did you deceive me, Abraham? Look at my household. Look at what you have done. Look at your sin. Look what your sin has done to my household. See, your sin and my sin and our sin needs to be taken seriously because it's not just a hidden thing. It's not just something that we are just going to keep and, and just dwell with. Our sin can affect other people. God can actually bring judgment on other people in our family, other people that we associate with because we are living in a sinful sin life. Your sin can affect not only yourself, but those outside of faith too. Some of us have stories because of the negative effects of sin and poor decisions of others. Of others. Like, I know, like, some, some, some young adults that we're dealing with, they grew up in hard households. 
And because of the sin of parents and, and the things that they did, that affected your childhood. That affected the way you grew up. There was, there was heartache and there was pain and maybe even abuse. There were things that were happening inside your house because of sin. But it wasn't your sin. It was someone else's. So we see that sin is really intense. It's really, it really does destroy and it really does affect this world. It doesn't just affect your world. It affects everyone who's attached to us. And we see this in relationships, we see this in marriages, we even see this in the workplace, that God brings judgment against workplaces because sin is not being confessed, it's not being dealt with the right place. We see this in the church. God brings judgments. We see this in the book of Revelation, where John is being told to write letters about judgments to these churches. And God talks about removing their lampstands because of particular sins and certain things that God's people are doing. We need to take careful attention, pay careful attention, listen carefully to the Spirit of God so that we will not be just living in a state of sin and allowing this, these things to happen all around us. It's time to clean up our lives. It's time to clean up our houses. It's time to clean up our backyards. It's time to clean up our churches. God says, if you come to me and you repent with a, with a contrite heart, he says he will forgive us. What grace is applied to us when we're honest about the things that we have done? If you're living in a state of sin right now, run to Jesus. Have a little chit-chat with him tonight. I love that his, his ear is open to us. Husbands, please, listen. If you are walking and living in sin, your prayers will not be heard. It says that in the Bible. Your heart can become hardened. If you just live in a state, same for the ladies. God won't remove his salvation from you, but you can have your heart hardened. You can have your, your way if you just deal, if you just keep going to sin. It's a serious moment that we see here. Abraham's lie hurt his marriage. It hurt the people that were helping him, providing food and shelter for him. And it hurt his witness. It hurt his witness. My sin can affect unsaved people. That's number five. Number six, not only was there hard things in Abraham's life, but there was these amazing, beautiful, outstanding, grace-filled moments in his life because of God's righteousness. Number six is righteousness is only imputed by faith. Righteousness is only poured onto us. Righteousness is only given to us by faith and faith alone. It's not what we do. It's not what we say. It's not done by works. We are not justified by works. You can't work it off. Salvation is a free gift to you. Jesus lived a perfect life. We live a sinful life. Jesus died on the cross. The wrath of God came down and fell upon Jesus he is the propitiation for our sins. What does Jesus do? He takes his perfect life and he imputes his righteousness onto us. God the Father looks down at us and he sees us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Does that mean because we are righteous that we should keep on sinning and let grace abound? No, we should not do that. And if we do sin, praise the Lord that the Bible says that we do have an advocate with the Father that we can go to. We can run to. But righteousness is only imputed by faith. We see this in Genesis 15, 6. 
We get this little glimpse. I love when the, when the Lord gives us glimpses in the Bible. It's kind of like, like peeling back the curtain so that we can kind of look inside. Just look and see what's going on, kind of a little peek. And in this verse in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham is having this, there's this vision taking place, and Abraham's actually kind of complaining to God. He's kind of disappointment. He's disappointed. He's talking to Abraham. He's sharing his frustration and his disappointment with God because he believes because he has no kids. He's got all this land. He got some stuff from, from Egypt, from the Pharaoh when he left. So he has all this stuff, and he's like, I'm accumulating all this stuff, but I don't have a family, God. When I die, who's going to get all of this stuff? I got all this stuff, Lord. You've given me this promise. Who am I going to leave it to? I'm frustrated. I don't have a son. What am I going to leave this all to? Who am I? But God tells him to go outside his tent. He says, Abraham, go outside your tent. Look up. God gives Abraham not just a word, but he gives him a visual. He says, come outside, look up. Take a moment. I often think about that in summer nights or clear winter nights when you're kind of outside and you look up and you see all the stars. You need to go to Africa. That's where it's at. My brother, Brother Graydon, he's a missionary over in Africa. If you've never been to Africa, you want to go on a mission tour, let me know. We'll get you hooked up, especially if you're a teacher, you want to do some overseas work. Our brother Graydon, I remember one of the first nights I was sitting outside and he just said, look up. And there's, it's so dark in Africa. But when you look up, it is so bright. You see all these stars. Every time I look into the sky on bright nights and I see all the stars, I think of this moment. I think of this moment where, where God gives this promise to Abraham. He says, come on out of your tent and look up. And he says, you see all those stars? He says, that's how many kids you're going to have. That's how many kids you're going to have. Abraham, you will have many, many children. And then the scriptures Record for us this. It says, by faith, Abraham believed God. And then it says, and righteousness was credited to him. Righteousness was credited to him. The imputed righteousness was credited to him because of faith. When you believe by faith, when you call on the Lord by faith, you will be saved You will be justified. You will be regenerated. You will be adopted into the family of God. You will be given the Holy Spirit. You'll be given counsel. You'll be given conviction. You'll be given a lifelong opportunity to turn to God in repentance and turn from things. And that is because of faith. It is faith alone given to the believer. But apart from faith, you have nothing. You have nothing. So how important, here's the question, how important is faith in the life of the believer? Why don't you put that in the chat right now? How important is faith in the life of the young adult ministry? How important is faith in your family? How important is faith in the life of the believer? That's number six. Number seven, we're almost done. Stick with me. Don't log off. We're going to do it. We're going to finish up. Number seven is never substitute God's revealed plan for something of your own. Never, never do that. Never substitute God's revealed plan for you for something for one of your own. 
Genesis 12, 2. It says, I will bless you and I will make your name great and I will be a blessing. There was this moment where God speaks to Abraham and he says this to him. Genesis 12, 2, he says, I will make your name a blessing and you will be a blessing and anyone you bless will be blessed. And he says, anyone who curses you, they will be cursed. God sets it up for him early in his life. So after Abraham has been living in Canaan, 10 years, Sarah, his wife, comes to him and takes her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gives her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she was conceived. God makes this big promise, you will be a blessing. Stick with me on this. Oh, 10 years, Lord. Oh, I can't. I can't do it. I know what you said, but I can't do it. It's taking too long. This is us. We grumble. We complain. God says he gives us all these promises. He says, stick with us. We complain. We grumble. We try to shortchange the process. It's literally my favorite phrase. I tell every person that I know, every person I disciple, every person that is in my life, trust the fill in the blank process. Trust the process. God has a plan. He's going to reveal it. And right here, Sarai shows up and says, hey, take, my wa- take this girl. She can be your wife. Maybe she can give us kids. Like, no, don't do that. God has promised to bless them. They got impatient. And what they do, they ran ahead of God. And every time we run ahead of God, what happens? More problems, more mess. We're always doing this. We think we can help God with the process instead of trusting God in the process. We need to trust God with our lives, even when it's hard. And I say that like that so I can go back and watch it myself. Nick, trust the Lord even when it's hard. Don't run ahead. Keep a steady pace. Continue growing in God. Obey his commands. I know they're hard Listen to the Spirit. He is here for us, for our good. Even when we don't even know what to pray, the Bible says the Spirit helps us. It intercedes for us. It's talking to God the Father. It's interceding, talking to Jesus on our behalf. He is interceding, talking to Jesus on our behalf. You ask, how do I know if I'm even running ahead of God? Well, if an idea like go sleep with this woman is presented to you, know full well, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. Sometimes the easiest things and the most obvious things are not the most easiest things and the most common things and the most obvious things. The best way, I'll give you a tip, the best way to navigate this life is use the gospel filter. Pastor Nick, what's the gospel filter? Someone write this out as I say it. The gospel filter is this. With, every, without, with the decision that I'm going to make, will it do one of, of these things? Will it honor God or hurt God? That's the first question you ask. It's a big thing. You need to make the decision. Put it through the filter. Will this honor God or will this hurt God? If it hurts God, don't do it. Will this honor my family or hurt my family? If this is a decision that I need to make and it's going to hurt my family, it's going to hurt me, don't do it. 
Is this going to honor my fellowship? Is it going to hurt my fellowship with believers? Will this honor my fellowship? Will this hurt my fellowship with believers? If it's going to hurt your fellowship with any of those things, hurt God's name, hurt God's church, hurt God's people, don't do it. Just don't do it. What you should do is just think about it. Trust the process. Delay making the decision. Phone a friend. Seek godly wisdom. I was wondering about this this week. It would have been awesome if Abraham had to ask Job's friends if sleeping with Haggai was a good thing. Because those guys, they're all about the sin. They're all about looking for the sin in people's lives. They would have been all over this. No, no, no. Don't do this. Trust the process. It would have been a win for those dudes. That's number seven. Number eight. Actually, I only have eight, so this is the last one. Number eight, the purest kind of faith is accepting from God those terrible things you cannot possibly understand. Let me say it again. The purest kind of faith is accepting from God those terrible things you cannot possibly understand. And you might not like that one. I don't like that one. That one hurts for me. That one gives me like some shivers. I don't want this one. I want to take this one out. But we can't. As we see in Genesis 22, 1 to 2, 15 through 18, and Hebrews 11, 7 to 19, it says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, I love Abraham's response. Here I am, Lord. I, wanna, I want that to be my heartbeat. Here I am, Lord. Then God said, you know that son that I promised to you? <laughs> that son you, you ran ahead with and tried to just help me with the plan? That son that I said would be a, a great blessing, a great promise. That son Isaac, I even told you when he would come and I even gave you a name for him. Yes, Lord. Take your son, your only son, who you love. That's what it actually says. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, by name, so he doesn't get it wrong, and go to the region of Moriah. Okay? sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. What? That's a hard moment. You may be in a hard moment right now. And you know the Lord is pressing upon you and you're saying, Lord, I don't want to go to that mountain because I love this. This I love right here. God's saying, come to the mountain. He says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, he gets to the mountain. He gets up on the mountain. He lays Isaac down. Isaac has this weird, awkward, dad, where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. They get to the top of the mountain. He starts to tie up his son. The father's heart, I can't even imagine this as a daddy. I can't even imagine this moment. He's wrapping up his son and he's laying him down, and he's taking out the knife, and he's raising it up. 
and he's about to bring it down on the son that he loves. And this is a hard moment that is filled with, I don't understand what's going on. Lord, is there another way we can do this? And he's bringing the knife down. And could you just imagine what's going on with Isaac? Like this guy, this kid probably had post-traumatic stress disorder. If we, like dad tried to kill me, that was an awkward moment in our life. Remember that? But then God provides the sacrifice. Not your son, my sacrifice. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time. He said, I swear by myself to close the Lord that because you have done this and have not held with, withheld your son, your only son, the son that you love, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take the possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. In, this hardest, in the hardest part, I guarantee, this right here was the hardest part of Abraham's life. And he obeyed. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, it says, by faith. Remember we talked about that? By faith, it says, Abraham when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac, it is through his life that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he received Isaac back from the earth back from death. Isaac, or Abraham knew in that moment, my God, even if I have to go through this, is so powerful, he could raise my son from the dead. I'm going to trust the Lord with this hardest moment. And by faith he did. We fast forward, Jesus is going to the cross on our behalf. What a picture. Abraham and Isaac sets up the cross of Christ. But Jesus didn't provide a different sacrifice when they were about to put the nails through his hands. He was the sacrifice, his son that he loved, his one and only beloved son who died for the sins of this world. It was supposed to be me. It was supposed to be you. But Jesus he was the substitute so that we could live by faith. So what's the lesson as we wrap up? My friends, you will have to trust God in seasons of hurt, in pain, in sacrifice, and in loss. You will have to trust God. It is not easy but you have to. You will need to put your faith in what is unseen when the whole world tells you not to do that. You will have to. You will struggle, but there is a promise for us to believe. God will be with you. He will provide. That provision might not be what you think it is, but God always keeps his promise. He is not a liar. God is for us. 
He is with us. And he has a plan. You see, the Bible has a lot to say about the character of Abraham. He made some mistakes. He made some big mistakes. But he made some good moves. Abraham made some big good moves. Some big moves. He trusted the Lord and he grew in faith. He learned to walk with God and not trust in the world. He learned from his mistakes not to lie. He learned to protect his family. He learned to think about big decisions, especially big decisions that have to do with sex. We learn from his life a whole bunch of wins. We learn these kind of wins to be real, to walk close to God, to be a person of integrity. I didn't even talk about his nephew Lot, but that awesome story, Genesis 18 to 19, it teaches us to be a person who intercedes for others. Abraham did that. He went to the Lord on his nephew's behalf. If you know the story, they were arguing, they're fighting over whose cows are going to eat the grass. There was a split. They go, and he says, it doesn't matter. God, I want to talk to you about him. Some of us, we, we got to do that with our families. We need to go to God. We got to start praying for our families. Abraham's life teaches us so much. I'm going to challenge you as your friend. I'm going to challenge you as one of your leaders. I'm going to challenge you as your pastor. Jump in this week and look at Abraham's life. Read those Genesis accounts. Faith is not just believing in spite of evidence. Faith is believing in spite of consequence. We know things are hard. We know the world is coming to, against us. We know things are going to be rough for us. We will experience things like Jeremiah. Our friends will desert us. Even in the hard stuff, trust God. How will you respond to God in the midst of your chaos? A lot of us will ask, we have this fear, what if God asks me to do this? What are you going to say? How are you going to respond? Being a Christian is hard. How will you respond? I want to leave you with this. Remember, character matters. Let's pray. Father, loving you so very much, just thank you for the time that we were able to spend here together. I pray, God, that you would move in hearts, move in my heart, Lord. Help me to do these things well. I will make mistakes, but thank you that the word of God says, if I do make a mistake, I can run to you. There's one who intercedes on our behalf. God, the, God, you are there at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying, forgiving. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. And what a great opportunity for us as God's people called out of darkness into marvelous light, a part of the church, given the spirit. Even if we've messed up, we can be forgiven. God, I pray for forgiveness to land on the hearts of those who are asking for it, who are repenting and turning from. I pray for you to give strength to those who need it, Lord. I prayed that at the first. I prayed at the end. We need your strength. When we are weak, you are strong. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit does this thing happen. So God, I pray that we would draw close to you we love you so very much. So thankful for you. So thank you for Jesus. So thankful for grace. God, bring us back together. I pray that you would open up the church. I pray that you would take care of this plague. I pray, God, that we would be able to meet in the buildings. 
I pray that your word would go out. I pray that you would fill every church in this city with people, new people, who are tired of living the old ways, who are tired of being caught in sin. God, I pray that you would open up their minds and hearts. May they believe on you. I pray for Calvary Baptist Church. I pray that we would be a light shining in darkness, a city on a hill. We love you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, check out our new podcast series, Living in the 66, a conversational series as we walk through God's Word chapter by chapter and seek to discover how we can apply it to our lives. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and until next time, blessings.